This is Anna. And this is Derek. This is different. We don't usually introduce ourselves this way. No, we don't. But the reason why we are doing a little bit of a cold open before we get into the episode is we are coming to the very end, the last couple days of 2020. And this is the year that we started our podcast. It definitely, I think, has been a challenging year for everyone in a myriad of ways. I don't think anybody has come through this year unscathed, whether it's financially, emotionally, uh, career-wise. And so it means that much more to us that for anybody who's listening right now that you have taken the time to follow along with this podcast. And our greatest hope is that in the midst of a really tough at least 10 months for most people, that we perhaps gave you a little joy and a few hours to forget what uh, what has been happening in the world. Yeah, 2020 has been challenging. And like Anna said, we hope that listening to us talk about ridiculous 80s, 80s movies has offered some some joy in any possible way. I can say for a fact that it has been a lot of fun for us to put these together and to get the chance to talk to people that we either haven't seen in a very long time or people that we had never actually met and still haven't met in person. So it really has been a a great time for us. We hope that you've enjoyed it and we're looking forward to putting out more uh, episodes that will probably run longer than the (laughs) runtime of the movies. Uh, And thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for, for listening. And let's start the show. Look, mister, there's three rules you've got to follow. Yeah, what kind of rules? Keep him out of the light. He hates bright light, especially sunlight. It'll kill him. And keep him away from water. Don't get him wet. But the most important rule, the rule you can never forget, no matter how much he cries, no matter how much he begs, never, never feed him after midnight. You got it? Sure, kid. Whatever you say. Hey, listen, thanks. And have a Merry Christmas. Hello and welcome to 80s Movie Montage. This is Derek. And this is Anna. And those were pretty straightforward rules on how to care for a pet, I think. I feel like they were not mincing words. They're very, very straightforward. Very straightforward. But when you don't follow them, you know what you end up with? A town full of... You end up with gremlins. Gremlins. (laughs) (laughs) You get gremlins is what you get. I wasn't totally picking up what you were putting down. (laughs) So yeah, gremlins. Let's talk about them. (laughs) Let's talk about it. So gremlins is the last of our three holiday movies that we're covering for this season. It's like three ghosts of Christmas. Yeah. So that would make uh, Gremlins the ghost of Christmas future, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I don't think it works. Let's go there. Yeah. Okay. Um, this was a real fun one. It was great to kind of wrap up the season with both this movie and our special guest, Justin, who was awesome. And yeah, we covered quite a bit with him. So let's indeed jump in. Let's do it. Okay. So Gremlins, 1984. Mm-hmm. And actually... The person who is, res- well, initially yeah. responsible for the film, the writer uh-huh. of the film, is a gentleman that we covered already, Mr. Chris Columbus. Oh, yeah. What else did he make? I feel oh, like boy. He, yeah. 
he um he is prolific i mean he kind of started off as a writer and that's how we reference him in episode three when we talk about the Goonies because mm-hmm. he was the writer behind that film. So that's what I remember him for. Yeah. So like I normally do, I will just encourage everybody if they want to hear more about him to to go back to episode three to hear about him there. But I mean, we know him. I th- I think at this point, we know him mostly as a director. I think I think of him as the Christopher Columbus that it's OK to be a fan of. And also, sure. I, I think he just goes by Chris. I wonder if that's why he does just go by Chris Columbus. Maybe. I wonder if he's like, I really don't want to be associated with that other guy. <laughs> I don't know. But um, in case you weren't certain of, what do you mean, director? I mean, this is the guy who did Home Alone. Yeah. This is the guy who uh, did, I think, one, if not more. I don't have that because I had that all listed out for Goonies, so I don't have it in front of me right now. He did at least one of the Harry Potter movies. He's producer on a couple of them, yeah. Yeah, and he's yeah, yeah he's done a lot of producing as well. So I actually am, I am a really big fan of his. Yeah. I generally like all his he stuff. He is the Chris Columbus that it's okay to be a yeah, fan of. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so moving on to director, we have a gentleman by the name of Joe Dante. Yeah. I did not realize that this was a gentleman who, first of all, had done as much as I'm about to list off. I'm going to say this guy was not on my radar. Not on my radar. I just, I, I enjoyed a lot of his movies mm-hmm. without really making any connection between those movies and him as a director. But wow. Yeah. A lot. And I also was like pleasantly surprised that our guest was such a big Joe Dante fan. I, uh, mm-hmm. I don't mean to sound like rude about it but i didn't know that was a thing (laughs) so no um, it is he was and it was great and it was great so among some of his other directing credits we have piranha Uh uh-huh we have your favorite and mine the howling wow i mean it it is an 80s movie it's we could we we could cover it so like shockingly we both saw it for the first time this year right because i had never seen it before yeah and we talk about it a lot on this uh podcast how different you might perceive a movie if you watch it in 2020 versus Mm -hmm. when it first came out Mm -hmm. and never has that affected me quite as much as it did watching the howling for the first time i mean it's an 80s movie so it will come up at some point in our podcast but um i mean i think that like really quickly i will just say that it's it's kind of impossible to not compare the howling to an american werewolf in london because they were released i think just a year apart from each other yeah they're very different though they're very different i mean i think most people think of american werewolf as the one that has like the really amazing effects but in its own right the howling did as far as that was concerned the howling did a pretty good job as well with all that anywho i prefer gremlins yes yeah between the Howling and Gremlins, Gremlins all the way. Between the Howling and almost anything, I prefer Gremlins. Yeah, I would have to yeah. agree with you. Okay, moving on to some of his other films, we have Explorers, Inner Space, The Burbs. Those are all, those are like every one of those movies, amazing. Yeah, yeah. great 80s movies. Gremlins 2, The okay. New Batch. Mm-hmm. And then we have like Small Soldiers and I usually mark this, I want to say, because there wasn't a Hawaii Five-0 film that came out. So this has to be the TV series. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He's directed some episodes. So moving on to cinematography. So one thing that I found, uh, I know this is kind of something I say a little too often, but one thing I found really interesting is that as we go through a lot of the people involved with this film... 
yeah, it's pretty normal for creatives to kind of crew up on different films together because you get used to a certain kind of working style. You know that they're competent, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I've never seen so many people kind of band together for multiple projects. Like, it's kind of amazing. So this um, cinematographer, John Hora, so he was the DP on The Howling. Okay. And he also was the DP on Explorers. Okay. Um, I had to put this in because I feel like, if I'm remembering correctly, this did get a lot of, uh, got many accolades for its look, the Michael Jackson video, Smooth Criminal. Yeah. He yeah, it definitely that. did. Okay. Yeah. So I remember that. He also shot Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Mm-hmm. And then another one of his credits, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Yeah, that's the sequel, right? Because yes. first you shrink him, then you blow him up, and exactly. then I don't know what happens. Yeah. It gets, gets crazy after that. It's crazy. So that is John Hora. Mm-hmm. Okay. Music. We do talk about the composer of this film, Jerry Goldsmith, with our special guest. We do. But like, definitely he deserves to be brought up again right now, because... Just kind of like Joe Dante, this I'm I'm ashamed to say this guy was never really on my radar. And when you go to his IMDb, he has 256 composing credits. That's just composing credits. I mean, there are other like kind of categories for like music department, things like that, where you're not necessarily like titled as the composer. Okay. So he's done a lot. And I I try to whittle things down. But I couldn't really do that so much with him because he has so many credits. So, okay, first of all, did a ton of composing for television. So I'm kind of just like getting that out of the way. But among some of his film credits, Planet of the Apes, Patton, Tora Tora Tora, mm-hmm. Chinatown, The Omen and Damien 2, Omen 2, Alien. Alien has a very... Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing it, score. It's an amazing score yeah. that I think isn't referenced enough in terms of how it adds to like the horror and the like terror of that film. It's great. Uh, he did Poltergeist and Poltergeist to the other side. He did Secret of Nim. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm only halfway through. He did First Blood and Rambo First Blood Part 2. I feel like you don't need to say First Blood again. I think you could just be like either Rambo and that is the name of the sequel, or First Blood Part Two. Yeah, I feel like those titles have been changed a bit since the franchise became a franchise. Oh, kind of like the Raiders thing? Yeah, I think Got so. It. Okay. He did Supergirl. We're back to Explorers. He was the uh, composer on that. Okay. He did Hoosiers. We're back to a couple other films we've just referenced. He was the composer on both Inner Space and The Burbs. He did Total Recall. Which is another amazing, yeah. amazing uh, score. Yeah. He did Rudy. He did, okay, so like maybe some people don't think this belongs in like his top hits, but he did First Night. I love that movie. <laughs> and um, without being like super weird about it, let me just say that there's an amazing kiss. In that movie, I don't oh, usually okay. call we're still talking about first, okay. Yeah, we're still talking about First Night. <laughs> um, yeah, Richard Gere and Julia Orman. I mean, it's uh, it's something else. That's all, all right. I'm going to say. It's, I believe you. It's a great kiss. Okay, and then finally, I had to bring this up because we love this movie. He did The Mummy. 
I, I have one final thing. But yes, we do love The Mummy, and it yeah. is a great score. Yeah. But he also is the composer for the theme for the Universal logo at the opening of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. And you love that movie. And I love that like 8-bit sounding, arcade kind of Universal theme opening. Very yes. cool. Yeah. Very, very, very cool. Okay. So moving on. So we don't typically bring up this person in terms of like when we're referencing some of the main players in films okay but this gentleman and again he does come up with our special guest because he kind of can't not come up that sounds that that worked yeah that worked yeah Yeah. um special effects and the gremlins creator (laughs) yes so chris how did justin say his name it's not wallace 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 thank you um and yeah if you want to have kind of a get into a deep dive about what it took to get this movie off the ground as far as the special effects and the all all the puppets that making were in a mogwai it. yeah exactly um if you can go check out the documentary gremlins a puppet story it's it's really great and it it definitely gives you an insider's look at what it took which... it's really yeah it's really cool and it's really interesting when you see how at so many stages they're like yeah we don't know how we're going to do this and also when you see just how horrifyingly repulsive some of these puppets were at first. Yes, they were they were haunting. You they, you wouldn't you would not have looked at Gizmo and thought what a cute little thing. You'd have thought get it away from me right now. Gremlins would have just been a straight up horror movie. Yeah, which I think isn't out of the realm of what they wanted at at some point. I think the comedy is very deliberate though. Like yeah. it eventually came to that place. It did change. I mean, yeah. they, they did change. Like Gizmo wasn't even in the movie at first. Exactly, which is weird because yeah he's kind of the movie he's kind of the movie yeah yeah. so okay among some of his other credits uh he worked with joe dante maybe that is how that relationship formed on piranha he worked on airplane return of the jedi the fly so that makes a lot of sense he did the special effects in airplane uh yeah here's the thing though (laughs) is that like that's such a broad category i can't say what exactly he did i want to believe that he was the one holding up that fake airplane by a string and he's just like where's my check that'd be great uh he worked on arachnophobia and he also worked on hot shots Hmm. okay so moving on to the editor the person who cut this film a woman by the name of tina hirsch Mm -hmm. so some of her credits really interesting work uh she did death race 2000 which i thought was awesome impressive um she did not american graffiti but more american graffiti so she worked on that i didn't know that was a thing i know that that's I'm pretty sure that, I mean, that has to be the sequel. I've never seen the sequel, but I'm assuming that's the sequel. So uh, she actually worked on this sequel, Airplane 2. Nice. She There's also- a lot going on with that one. They went to the moon in that one. Did they really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've yeah. seen it. Yeah. No, one, one, they're just on a crazy flight. Two, turns out that airplane was a prototype for the shuttle for their moon base. Oh, man. She, again, I was mentioning how these people kind of work together over and over again. She was the editor on Explorers. So, like, Mm. virtually every person we've talked about worked on Explorers. Um, Captain Ron, Dante's Peak, and then The Year Without a Santa Claus are some of her credits. Mm. Okay. So. I'm surprised that uh, Taken Taken 3 was not on that list of credits. That I listed? For, For her as an editor. Because of that great edit of Liam Neeson in Taken 3. Ah, I see where you're going with this. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) Miss Deagle 
going up what seemed to be like a 500 foot stairway. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, it's true. Just look up that uh, Taken 3 Liam Neeson hops a fence. It's good stuff. <laughs> okay. So moving on to the actors in this film. So we have a lot of new faces that we get to talk about. Yeah, we do. The first of which is Zach Galligan. Mm -hmm. So he plays the lead of the film. He's Billy. He's Billy, Billy Peltzer. And so he he has been working this entire time. He even has some like credits from, I think, this year and a couple that are like going to come out next year. Um, not maybe things that are as commercially popular as others, but he did come back for Gremlins to the new batch. Oh, and yeah. then among some of his other credits, Warlock, the Armageddon. Huh. Cupid. G-Men from Hell. Hmm. Night Beasts. Night Beasts. Yes. Okay. Hatchet 3 and Bad Candy. Bad Candy sounds... Sounds I think Bad Candy's from 2020. I might not I might not know these movies, but I do know that they all have pretty solid titles. Those are all pretty Yeah, pretty they, rad no, titles. They, they really do. Yeah. Okay. Moving on to his love interest and the female lead in this well, I guess you can maybe see the mom is, but Phoebe Cates, who plays Kate Berenger. And I mean, this is an actress. So she's she's pretty much retired. Um yeah, and I know that she kind of she does her own thing. She's like a proprietor. She has like a little shop somewhere in New York City and kind of has moved away from the acting world. Um, but this is a face that was everywhere in the 80s. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say at the time, I don't know. Do you think it's controversial to say that she was kind of like not maybe not like compared to, but she was as popular as like Molly Ringwald at that time? I think that's a. A fair comparison at the time, I think. At the time, yeah. yeah. I think I think more people now think of Molly Ringwald because of like the John Hughes movies. Like there, she just seems synonymous with the '80s. Phoebe Cates, like I think back then, you probably would have had kind of that similar conversation. But she also seemed to play different different types of roles. Yes, I mean she often was playing like the same as Ringwald in terms of like being a teenager. Yeah, but yeah, different roles. Um, probably the film that I would say almost everybody identifies her with first, even out like on top of Gremlins, is Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah. Um, did you ever see the movie Private School? No. So this is one of those movies that I saw definitely too young. Not sure. Probably caught it on cable. Never should have seen it as a child. Was it like a horror movie or something? No, it's oh. kind of on the same lines as like Porky's. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So she's in that. Um, she's in Bright Lights, Big City. She's in Shag. She also came back for Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Okay. And the infamous Drop Dead Fred. Holy shit. Yeah. And also, I don't know if anybody knew this. She's married to Kevin Klein, the actor. Huh. So... Yeah. There you go. There you go. Okay, moving on to the father. Boy, what a, what a character. So the character is Randall Peltzer. The actor is Hoyt Axon. I love that name. It's a great name. Uh, he So, yes, he is an actor or was an actor, but in looking up kind of his history and, and kind of his place in entertainment, he's more of a music guy. 
Okay. Um, more musician. But among some of his film credits, we have The Black Stallion. This is just a great title. I have no idea what this movie is, but Fred C. Dobbs Goes to Hollywood. Fred C. Dobbs. Goes right. to Hollywood. Yeah, Like, yeah, that's yeah. the entire name of the film. Uh, we're No Angels. And then, is this... Is this uh, related to the thing that you were just talking about? He was in the TV miniseries, The Civil War. No, I don't think so. I think that's going back to the to the first Civil War. And, gotcha. Uh, yeah, the other individual was part of something called The Second Civil War. Gotcha. Okay. And as I'm going to kind of be saying ad nauseum with most of the other people that we're going to be chatting about, lots and lots and lots of TV appearances. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, moving on to the mom. Lynn Peltzer. She's a badass. She's a straight up, she's probably the most badass person in this movie. She's like Ripley badass. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, she really is. Yeah. Um, Her, the actress's name is Frances Lee McCain. And uh, what's interesting about her is that she also pops up in a ton of 80s movies. Like, she's kind of the mom in like a good number of them. So uh, as far as like her career, again, Lots of TV appearances. She kind of headlined something. I, I am not familiar with this show. This is definitely before our time, but it's called Apple's Way. Have you ever heard of that TV series? Apple's Way? Yeah, I don't I don't know it, but... Um, not only do I not know it, I question whether that's real. It's real. Okay. I promise. But she was Ren's mom in Footloose. Hmm. She was technically Marty's grandmother... And Back to the Future. Looks like she was in at least one episode of a TV series from 1978 that was just titled Having Babies. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, she also was in Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. I We're going to have to rewatch this because I'm not keying in on who she was in this film, but she's in Scream. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But I'm not. It's not ringing a bell for me. Yeah, she's been in some some wild titles, including having babies and single bars, single women, a TV movie where she played Patty. Sounds kind of depressing, to be totally honest. <laughs> and that's probably the intent of it. Well, okay, moving on. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on to. Corey Feldman, who plays Pete Fontaine. He just kind of pops up in some of these movies where you're like not expecting Corey Feldman. There he is, I acting mean, his ass off. We, I do remember us having a conversation. So, uh, as I did with Chris Columbus, go back to episode three, which is The Goonies, which is where we go more in depth about his career. He also comes up in our conversation with Justin. I have a lot of feelings about Corey Feldman. I know that the trajectory of his career and personal life have. Um, have kind of gone sideways a little bit, uh, but he they were was, impacted by yes, you know, by yes. things that have happened. He definitely, um, I, I, I do. I guess I'll, I'll put this on record and saying I do believe him that he experienced abuse and trauma uh, as a child actor. He was an amazing child actor. Yeah, so so good. And yeah, I mean, he pops up in this. It's funny because he pops up and we don't really know the outcome of his character's story in this film. I'm guessing he's fine. I think he's fine. He's he's slinging whatever with a slingshot sure. and, and like defending his window. I think he's going to I think he's fine. Sure. I think he's fine, too. Um, but yes, he is in this and he is he's great. OK, so moving on to 
Key Luke, who is Mr. Wing slash the the grandfather. Mm. Um, crazy credits. This gentleman had 225 acting credits. He started his acting career in 1934. Holy shit. Yeah. So to, again... Ton, 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 tons of TV appearances. Uh, among some of his credits, though, so he was in the movie The Good Earth. He actually played Cato in The Green Hornet and in The Green Hornet Strikes Again. He was in Nobody's Perfect. He was in the TV series. Uh, among, like, just TV appearances, I pulled out some of the ones where he had, like, a recurring role. Okay. Um, so he was in the TV series The Amazing Chan and The Chan Clan. Okay. He was also in the TV series version of Anna and the King, also in the TV series of Kung Fu, as well as Spider-Man and his amazing friends, like voice acting. He was a voice for a really weird animated TV series from 1980 called Thundar, that's with two R's, The Barbarian, where mm-hmm. a comet flies between the Earth and the moon causing like this apocalypse scene almost like an old animated version of what you would see in like a disaster movie from like modern cgi era it's really it's it's a really weird show that had like a ripoff of some star wars stuff with like laser quote-unquote swords lightsabers oh okay yeah anyways he's a voice in that and that's like a bizarre like uh throwback to the 80s Sure is. Sounds very <laughs> 80s, though. Yeah, yeah. And then he, too, came back for Gremlins 2, the new batch. Of course, yeah. He had to, he probably had to, like, get everyone's ass back in line again. Yeah, exactly. He had to kind of lock, lock it lock it down. How the hell did you get my Mogwai again? So, uh, the Wicked Witch of the... Is it West or East? West is the bad one. Yeah. Yeah, Wicked you're talking about a Deagle, right? Pretty much. I mean, I feel like, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Mm -hmm. She imitates hard, I think. And I feel like they're not even hiding it. I I mean, mean, look, her first name, her character's first name is Ruby. Yes. Like Ruby Slip. That can't be a coincidence. I wonder if Chris Columbus is a Wizard of Oz fan. I mean, this lady, she's just like vibing the wicked witch of the west so hard she threatens to like take him down and kill his dog and i think she like threatens in pretty like graphic detail how she's going to kill this guy's dog we we talk about this with justin but i just cannot get over the 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 evilness of this woman i mean she's not just saying i'm gonna kill your dog she's like i'm gonna give it a slow painful death i mean i think Whoever was was looking at this and considering a rating for this movie, first of all, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about how this changed ratings. But yeah. maybe they saw that and they're like furiously writing notes down, yeah, like this not, And then they saw the rest of the movie and they're like, "Oh, we we actually forgot about that first part." <laughs> Sometimes filmmakers do that intentionally, yeah, to keep certain things in. They kind <laughs> of uh, do other things a little more bombastically knowing that those are the things that are going to catch the eye of the MPAA board. I mean, sure, she talks about murdering this guy's dog, but did you see that gremlin explode in a exactly. microwave? Exactly, exactly. So among some of her other... Uh, so she did she did a quite, a, quite a bit of television. So she was on the TV series Alice, and hmm. then it looks like uh, she had her own spinoff 
because she was the character of Flo Yeah, she was Flo. Kiss my grits. And then she was Flo in the TV series Flo. Um, She also was in Mrs. Doubtfire. I had to put these two next to each other. She was in both Mrs. Doubtfire and Mr. Wrong. Mm. Both movies. And then I'm not, again, this wasn't really my show, um, but she was in Home Improvement, the TV show. Ugh, yeah. But I'm not placing her. Yeah, no. But I, I never really watched that show. No, anyway, no. So. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So moving on, I had to bring him up. So Edward Andrews, who plays Mr. Corbin, like the guy who runs the bank, the mm-hmm. older gentleman. Um, that guy has a long weekend or something because he just gets gets the just, fuck out of town. Uh, goes away. Yeah, just goes away. So this, uh, I want to say, was either his last or se- no? Mm. I think this was his last his last acting credit. Now that I'm thinking about it. Um, so 185 acting credits, very similar um, to the gentleman who played the grandfather. He started his acting career in 1936. Um, so some of his TV series that he had like a more substantial role in, one was called Studio One in Hollywood. The other was called the United States Steel Hour. Okay. Yeah. Right. He also was in the movie Elmer Gantry, The Absent-Minded Professor, Send Me No Flowers, did some more TV, did a show called Broadside, uh, also was on the Doris Day show. And then... I know him and love him oh, yeah. as one of the two grandfathers in 16 Candles. Yep. He's the one who angrily answers the phone. Yes. He is. He's Sam's maternal grandfather. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's he's fantastic. Okay. So moving on to another gentleman who kind of just goes away in the movie, Judge Reinhold. <laughs> he sure does, doesn't who, he? Yeah. He just kind of He flies straight into uh, some deleted scenes. And that's, yeah. that's where you yeah. can find him if, if who he- does? You know, it was the holidays. Maybe they were maybe they were planning on going out of town anyway. So. No, he he definitely was staying in his new apartment to watch some cable. Oh, that's that's right. He's that's real right. proud of that cable. So he played a character, uh, Gerald Hopkins, and another dude who was all over the eighties. I mean, his face was in a lot of movies. Um, and what's crazy? Once again. Fast Times. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. He also was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Preceding Fast Times, he was in Stripes. Remember him from Stripes? Yeah. One of his earliest roles. And so Stripes, Fast Times. And then he did all the Beverly Hills Cop movies. Mm -hmm. Um, First to second to number three. He was in Ruthless People, vice versa. He's been in uh, the three Santa Claus movies. The okay, yeah. The Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah, the Santa Claus. The Santa Claus. Uh he is has a voice and puss in boots. Nice. Didn't realize that. And then a couple of his other movies, No Place Like Home and Bad Grandmas. (laughs) Yeah, just like that. Um, okay. So another gentleman with an extensive acting career, Dick Miller, who plays Murray Futterman. So like that neighbor with the tractor. What did we? Ever oh yeah, decide no, what I, it was. It's a uh, it's a plow. I think it's a we plow. talked about because it's a plow. that's right. Yeah, he basically plays the plow king from The Simpsons, where his job is to just drive around like plowing. So that's that's why he drives around in that. But yeah, no, I hadn't forgotten about Mr. Futterman. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't. Wasn't <laughs> trying to imply that you did. I can't forget the the guy who actually gives this movie its name. Yeah, that's a great point. So, like I said, extensive career. Okay, some of his credits we have It Conquered the World, A Bucket of Blood, 
The Little Shop of Horrors, mm. the 1960 version. Oh. Yeah. Still good. Yeah. Uh, Big Bad Mama. Okay. Candy Stripe Nurses. Oh. Yeah, I don't really know what that's about. but it Sounds like private school. I have an idea. Here's what's hilarious. So he's in a movie called Big Bad Mama. He's in another movie just called Crazy Mama. Is it? Are they related? I don't know. Uh, they, that would have been be. awesome. Maybe they are related. It's a lot of mama for it to not be related. He must have struck up like a relationship, friendship with Joe Dante because he was in Piranha, Explorers, Inner Space, The Burbs. He also comes back for Gremlins to the new batch. Oh, in The Howling. I can't believe I missed that. Yeah. Um, I, ha- I have to call out this one, too. He was in a movie called The Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood. Okay. Okay. I mean, that's a name. He was also in something called Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype. That sounds kind of amazing. Like, that's that's a great fucking title. Yeah, I'm very curious with that. I mean, I have a little bit of an idea what that film could be about, but he was in Project X, mm-hmm. um, Small Soldier, so another Joe Dante film. Um, same same Z's, did a ton of t- TV work. Uh, he was on the series Fame the TV version of the movie. But then the thing that I know him from, which I mentioned with Justin, is the <laughs> gentleman from The Terminator. That's like... That's He's been in so much, but we just remember I him as the know. guy that gets blown away by uh, The Terminator. Yeah, I can't help it, though. It's like locked in my <laughs> in my memory. So that's... I got two more. Oh, please, go ahead. I got two more because I... I there's no way that I thought there would be a, a tie-in between Gremlins and the Transformers, the movie. But we have a lot of voices, a lot of voice actors who provide their talent for the Gremlins and Mogwais. So Frank Welker, who voiced uh, Megatron Mm -hmm. in Transformers, Mm -hmm. and Peter Cullen, who voiced Optimus Prime, Mm -hmm. both in Gremlins. Mm -hmm. We've talked about them. If you want to know more about them, listen to that uh, (laughs) episode. Transformers. That was that was nicely done. You get, like that? Get more people to listen to that Transformers episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, film synopsis. Yeah, what do we got? How do you write a synopsis for this? Yeah, I'm very curious what you're going to think about this one. Okay, okay, here we go. A boy inadvertently breaks three important rules concerning his mm. new pet and unleashes a horde of malevolently. It's tough, man. It's Mischievous t- yeah. monsters on a small town. That first of all, that was great pronunciation on malevolently. I tried, and I think really it's just the one rule that, like, maybe two rules. Because you break the the first rule about the light, and sure, Gizmo doesn't like that, mm-hmm. but that's not unleashing chaos on the town. True. It's it's really you break the second rule with the water. Now you have all these like cantankerous little mogwais running around. And then you break the third rule about feeding all of them after midnight. Now you got a problem. That's it. I never really thought about that, but yeah, that's really interesting. The way that the, yeah, the first rule is kind of just a rule to not hurt the mogwai. The first rule and, is really from the VFX people because yes, exactly. We <laughs> talk about that. Yeah, yeah. They're like, please don't, don't have these creatures in, in daylight. It's going to show all of our, all, all the little things that we can't hide. Um, but yeah, it's really rules two and three and rule three built off of rule two. Yeah. So, yeah. cause if, I mean, I guess my, I'm curious. So you break three by itself. That's, that's real tragic. That's bad that, that Gizmo is now like an evil gremlin probably. 
But that's just it. Is that would he would he turn? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows what a good gremlin looks like? Yeah. I mean, the thing that bumped me about the synopsis is calling Billy a boy. That makes him sound like he's <laughs> like eight. It's making him sound like Corey Feldman's like the lead of the film. Like he's not even in high school anymore. No, he works at a bank. Yeah. Yeah. He, so he basically like, supports his family, too. Yeah. It's really weird to be calling him a boy. But that was that was kind of my thing. I was like, that makes it sound like an entirely different kind of movie. As far as a young gotta, man inadvertently yeah. breaks the worst rules concerning a new alien life form his father obtains for him and unleashes hell. I think I think we could pull a lot from what you just said. We can work with and that. We can work with that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, as far as montages, there's not really a str- okay. So this movie it's happens. Kind of, it gets close. Well, yeah, it gets. That's what I was just gonna say. It gets really close. Um, this movie happens in a. It's a pretty quick turnaround. Uh, I think it's like a couple, couple days. Couple days. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, I guess, I guess, yeah, you could say it's a montage. Like, there's a lot of um, cuts with, like, the music where it's showing what all the gremlins are kind of doing at one point, like, one point or another. You'll get a bunch of kind of, like, variations of Jerry Goldsmith's amazing gremlins theme mm-hmm. just, like, banging you in the face. Mm-hmm. And then you're going from, like, different, different like, the carolers right. to, like, the mailbox to right. all these different things that just kind of, like... I mean, it works as a montage in that it's, like, getting us to the point of, of, like, this town has just been plunged into chaos. Yeah, it's passing time, so it is showing a passage of time. Um, that was very redundant, what I just said. But also, yeah, I, it's very effective because it's showing you just how much damage, both both literally and, like, like human life it's, it's so weird because, like... <laughs> Like, yeah, Miss Miss Deagle is an awful human, and I'm not real upset that she gets launched out of her house. Sure. But then there's just, like, some random guy dressed up as Santa who's probably being murdered by a bunch of gremlins. I felt really bad for Santa, especially yeah. since the cops absolutely see what is happening to Santa, and they're like, yeah. we're out of here. They, they just take off. So it's a weird montage because you see them causing chaos, but then you also see them in like committing incredibly violent acts yeah. that, aren't, that aren't as fun. Like I no. don't know, maybe in the eighties you'd see a Santa getting like murdered by little creatures, and you'd just think it's hilarious. I don't know. I thought it was kind of funny, but also kind of sad. I, it's sad because like you know what the outcome is that like that Santa's not gonna escape. It's, it's not looking good. Probably. But they're easily distracted, so maybe That's something true. happened. That's true. Yeah. Maybe they saw some candy. Yeah, I don't know. So, I think we should dive into our conversation with Justin. I think we should, too. Let's do it. And we are so incredibly excited to have with us today our very special guest for our season finale. We have with us today voiceover actor, painter, and fellow podcast host, Justin Blomquist. Welcome, Justin. Thank you so much, Anna and Derek, for having me. I am thrilled to be here for your season finale <laughs> we're we're super stoked and and this is a fun one i think this is a good way to kind of wrap up the year uh we i mean you and i okay so just like full disclosure to all of our listeners we've kind of talked about this a little bit via like instagram and email so i know that there's a lot for us to jump into with this particular movie so i'm just going to get started if you're cool with that totally please dive right in okay. i got so much to say <laughs> <laughs> awesome all right so, as I typically do, I'm very curious if you happen to have 
like a first memory of seeing this movie. And if you do, what your first thoughts of it were. Certainly. So I don't have an exact like, oh, I was, I totally remember watching it all the way through. I was probably three or four. I just know it was before we moved into our Holy second house. Moly. I was. <laughs> I think that's age appropriate. I think you might you might hold the record, Justin, for for seeing it at a very very young age. We talk about that all the time. And earliest memory. Yeah. So, Sorry. Please go ahead. Oh, no, so I, I had to kind of explain. So I have three siblings who are nine, seven, and five years older than me. Got it. And so uh, a lot of movies that we had on VHS, which I'll get into how we got these on tape, because uh, there's a whole story about that. Uh, they just kind of were playing all the time. So, I mean, i sure it was around that time I saw it. I do remember definitely it scaring me. It definitely scared me to death as a three or four-year-old. Uh, and it probably wasn't until I was like seven that I actually sat down and watched the movie again all the way through. And then at seven, I was like, oh, this isn't as scary as I thought it was. It was much scarier as a three or four-year-old. <laughs> that, you so, know what? That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but still, I feel like... If you hadn't seen it at three, at seven, it probably would still be scary. Oh, probably so. I mean, it definitely was still. I mean, I remember, I remember being like, oh, oh, no, they're coming down the street. And then, like, after it was all said and done, I'm like, oh, okay, like, I can watch that movie again now. It's not as terrifying as I remember. Because as a kid, like, I remember seeing it and, like, I don't want to watch that again. I don't want to watch that ever again. And <laughs> well, then, I'm curious. Oh, please go ahead. I was just going to say, so the more thing that I enjoyed about the gremlins as a kid i wanted to share this was uh we had gotten from hardy's my brother explained to me uh these four booklets that came with little 45 records it was little picture books the Aww. story of the gremlins and it was like hmm. there was a narrator and then it had like uh zach galligan actually doing his own dialogue and a few others like just kind of doing bits from the movie but most of it was like you know and then the gremlins this and such turn the page Bring! <laughs> and um that. so between like I would say four and seven, that was my like I want to revisit the Gremlins, but I want to watch that movie. I'll listen to these records and go through these books because that was less scary to me. I remember something similar where like I used to have a lot of those, um, like you play a cassette tape as you're reading through a book. Mm -hmm. Did you have that too? Like with like I remember Alvin and the Chipmunks. I remember the Fox and the Hound. I remember having a lot of those. So we had those on forty five records though. We didn't have them on cassettes. Oh. Oh, that does so make it cooler. That it is cooler. Yeah. Vi is it? Is that considered vinyl? Uh, yeah, I would. Yeah, they're yeah. little little vinyl records. <laughs> I okay. So, what I'm really curious about is because you mentioned that you have several siblings that are much older than you. Do you feel like they, in a way, um, like what's the way to put it? Like, kind of numbed you to like like if you didn't have those older siblings, do you think it you would have been more scared by it as a seven year old? Oh, probably so. Uh, so again, like by the time I was five, because again, three or four, I was watching all these things. I had seen all three Star Wars movies, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom before I was five years old on multiple occasions. <laughs> Temple of Doom is pretty, pretty out there. I mean, I mean, we I mean, I think that it's probably shared knowledge. I feel like, Justin, you already know this, that between Temple of Doom and Grublins, they were the two movies that prompted the MPAA to create the PG-13 rating. Oh, yes. And I've never actually yeah. seen uh, Red Dawn, which was the first actual PG-13 rated movie. Yes. Yeah, I haven't either. We'll have to cover that at some I point, mean, though. I mean, watching Gremlins last night, it was it was shocking how, like, violent and, like just it's 
it's kind of over the top in a lot of scenes. But then so like, it's you learn crazy. how like the script was much more violent than what was actually. <laughs> yes. Yes. They had the idea of like the mother's head rolling down the stairs when Billy comes home instead of saving her. <laughs> she's she's already teacher, decapitated. The, I think the teacher was supposed to have like multiple needles, like I think in his face. And that they, makes they more actually sense. shot that and then they had to reshoot it because people were like, this is a little too intense. That I mean, yeah, that is intense. Oh I, man! Even just the um, like when the gremlins are bubbling. Yeah. And like I, I get queasy just seeing that. Speaking of things that people should actually see, and I'm bringing this up because Justin, you were the one who brought this to my attention. So I think that we would be remiss to not speak about the gentleman who was responsible for the creation of the, I mean, look, there was a huge team of people who put together all of these different creatures, but chief among them was Chris. I want to say it's pronounced Wallace. Do you know differently, Justin? I do know differently. It's Wayless because I just just listening to the commentary. He's like, I'm Chris Wayless. And I was like, ah, that's how you say it. Okay, great. Great. Thank you so much for that. And you brought to my attention that there was a documentary made about him and the creation of this movie called Gremlins, a puppet story. And we watched it. I mean, I think my major takeaway from watching that was how crazy it was to try to figure out what these creatures should be and how they could actually be animated and just the number of versions they went through. What an amazingly successful job they did, because if you're just watching the movie, even now, it, it it holds up pretty well. Like the effects hold up, and I I do have kind of a preference for practical effects when when they make sense. And yeah, after you, watching you, the movie, you said it all right there, Derek. Practical effects when you can, please, filmmakers, mm-hmm. do it. I didn't mean to cut you off, Derek. Though I'm sorry, please. Oh yeah, no. I mean, it's just it's incredible when you see everything that they went through and all the different iterations of of Gizmo and the Gremlins and and like the feedback and just how the team was like. We're not really sure how we're going to do this. You know, it's he just said that amazing. so many yeah. times. <laughs> we're, we don't really know what we're doing. We don't really know how this is going to work. But it, it all came together. And I think I think that probably holds true for like more movies than than people would guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to say, Justin, again, like I'm I'm so, so glad that you brought that to our attention because I think that. I mean, it makes sense because if you do something well, you're not really thinking about all the work that it took to create it. So in a way, it's a compliment when people aren't really thinking about like, holy cow, what did it take to create these little creatures that nobody has ever seen before? I will say that people have commented many times on the work that went into Cats. Sure. Because it's horrifying. (laughs) Which I, I finally was, it was like playing on HBO and I caught probably about half an hour of it. It's not as terrible as, you know, everyone was saying when that first like trailer dropped. But at the same time, it is just the musical Cats, which isn't a good musical. So, of yeah, course, right. the movie sucks because Cats kind of just sucks. Yeah. It definitely yeah. is a it's a certain kind of like sub niche of musical. I mean, I've seen the musical. I have not seen the movie. I do love a lot of the music from the musical. But yeah, so... Speaking of great music, so how about of, that? <laughs> Wait, how about that Gremlins thing? Well, we we're gonna get there for sure. But I was curious, Justin. So, uh, 
I'm, I'm assuming that you also have the opportunity to watch the documentary. I mean, what are your thoughts on like, I mean, I, I agree with Derek. I think that the puppets hold up pretty well. Like, how, how do you feel about that when you watch it 30 years on? Oh, uh, for sure. The puppets and everything still hold up. It wasn't even until I watched with commentary that like in one of the scenes, there's like a bar scene where you see like two gremlins in the background kind of walking and like there's guys in the foreground and the two walking like full frame in the back are marionettes, but you don't really even see that they're marionettes mm-hmm. unless like someone's pointing out to you like, oh, those are marionettes. Like I wasn't even seeing it. They and- had so many tricks that they did to pull all of that off. I know, and yeah, like seeing the the Gremlins of Puppet Story, I was just amazed with all the different iterations they had to go through as far as just even like getting the grim the the Gizmo design uh, mm-hmm. and getting cause, cause, and then, yeah. and then the fact that Gizmo didn't even really exist as like a character until like they were in the middle of production, mm-hmm. and Steven Spielberg's like, I, I want to change it. I want I want the I want him to not become the evil Gremlin. He's going to stay the same, and he's going to be the hero now instead of Billy. And they're like, wait, what? Yeah, and he's gonna he's gonna carry around with him, like like he's he'll be with him at all times. Uh, how are we gonna do that? I mean, thank God for backpacks. The yeah. early iterations, <laughs> like the first the first showing of Gizmo was haunting. It yes, was, <laughs> like this I, is not cute. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm I'm so glad with where they went with that character because uh, last I mean we we always kind of watch it the night before we speak to our guest about it and. Even though I've always thought Gizmo was cute, but for some reason, last night I was watching it, just every time he was on screen, I was like, he's so adorable. <laughs> I mean, that might also be us like desperately wanting a pet that we can't have right now. Perhaps. Um, but it was- also helps that Baby Yoda looks a lot like Gizmo. Yes. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. A lot of similarities. And actually, one of the things that I said to Derek last night, I was like, I feel like the Ewoks and Mm. Gremlins have maybe like different dialects of the same language because they sound, to me at least, really similar. I mean, I don't really know what their dialect is because it kind of seems like they do speak English, but then they also speak Gremlin speak. Right. And then it all gets thrown out the window at the bar scene where like everything just gets crazy. And at the theater, Milk Duds. Milk Duds. Yeah, there's the Milk Duds. (laughs) The Milk Duds aficionado. But in the bar scene when they're just like, how many wacky things can we do? We're going to have like the, the noir gremlin. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then like the little puppet gremlin. It, it's yeah, it was, that part was wild. I don't think I remember just like when you're a kid, it's just like funny, but watching it, it seemed to like completely kind of shift the tone of what was happening. Mm-hmm. Whereas to me after you know growing up and learning how much Joe Dante loves uh, Mary Melodies and Looney Tunes, I was just like, Oh, this is just him like doing like an old Looney Tunes bit somehow. Like there's like the gruff guy and he's like little, Hey buddy. Hey pal. And they like whack him like Mimsy. Smacks yeah. him. Well, how do you uh, feel about, cause that was one thing that I also mentioned when we were watching that kind of extended scene with all the different gremlins in the bar, I feel like with a more modern movie, they would not have given as much time to that scene and just literally showing off these creatures doing all these like funny kind of weird things. I feel like what that did for me as a viewer of the film is even though the gremlins like eventually like they got to go, they're just causing too much havoc and they are actual, like they're like actually killing people. Um, I think that you become a little bit enchanted by them oh, by, sure. by getting to see them that way. So like, do you feel like that 
What what do you think was the intention of showing them for that length of time? I mean, what what do you think that I'm sorry, I'm making you like go into Joe Dante's head, but like, like, did it work for you? Do you feel like it, they could have cut back on the scenes with the gremlins? How do you feel cut about back? Well, I'm, oh, I'm just asking, just asking. Oh no. I, I, I think those scenes are fantastic. Any little bit that shows us these creatures causing chaos, like the, the mailbox scene. I like uh, mm-hmm. the scene where you see the, the Santa Claus just running out with a bunch of gremlins pinned to him. They're like, they're not moving, but he's moving around enough. It looks like they are. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the, the bar scene is just, it, as you said, it's a way to show off all that they can do with these puppets and put them in funny costumes. And so, yeah, it's, it's endearing. It's, and yeah, it's not even like scary until like, they're like starting to really like, you know, throw, you know, shoot bullets at Kate. It's kind of just fun. And like, she's frightened. Cause like, they're like, you know, insisting on getting beer and cigarettes, but they're not really hurting her at all. Uh, so yeah, like they're just kind of like, Oh, these guys are just having a good time. You brought up uh, something that I did want to touch on, which is the beer. <laughs> What yes. are we going to, are we going to talk about the, the water to alcohol composition of beer and whether or not these things should even be able to drink? Are we going to talk or about how snow like- melts really quickly and how, exactly. why are they not getting their feet wet constantly? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, does that, does that bump you at all? Or are you like, whatever it's. I am whatever, but no, I'm, 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 I'm whatever because it's a fantasy. As far as the beer uh, to me, it's just like, well, that's not water. It, it is yeah. beer. So, uh, that that was answered that for me, but for me it was like ah, you you step in snow, you're gonna get wet. Why aren't they melting? Mm-hmm. Yep, I totally agree with you. And I could, yeah, I can give an out to the beer drinking because it's technically not water. It was Coors Light, Coors, which I know you're like that's pretty close, virtually water. Um, <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, there and and I mean, okay, so so I love this movie. I say this a lot. I'm not trying to throw shade, but I do think that maybe this is the perfect point to bring up some of the kind of plot holes in the film. There are no plot holes in this movie. <laughs> there are things that I, like are like, oh, Judge Reinhold, you're kind of a jerk. You're going to play into something else later. Oh, you're not? Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. That's exactly where was I was at, going. Look, he was at home watching cable in his new apartment. He was, yeah. he was in Fred Savage's body for two days, and he just couldn't be there. <laughs> Holy shit. That is an amazing pull. That is a deep cut. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, well, yeah. And I mean, look, I don't really care that much because I'm not watching this movie. No offense, but I'm not watching this movie for Judge Reinhold. And, and it's a little No, strange. for Judge Reinhold, you watch Ruthless People. Yes. Yeah. Or, I mean, Fast Times, you know? So that's, that's kind of where where I place him. Beverly Hills think, Cop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, when I first think of him. So, so to me, as far as I'm concerned, he wasn't really necessary, but it is really bizarre to me, especially considering that. Cause I, okay. I, I'm not trying to make this into like a Steven Spielberg conversation, but it's clear that he had a lot of influence on the film. And, you know, I, I, I do, I'm, I'm biased. He, he is one of my favorite directors. And I think that one of the things that he does really well is That's that. That's a hot take right there. <laughs> <I know. laughs> I mean, way to like, be out of the box. One of the things that I think he does particularly well is, is being a storyteller and 
and not having a lot of plot holes in mm. his films. So I'm actually very surprised. And and the thing is, is that the film's not that long. It's like, what, an hour and 45 minutes? It moves really good. So, and it, like, yeah. yeah. It moves really fast. And so I was surprised. Like, I, I, you might actually know better than I do, Justin. I, I just kind of briefly read through that there was every intention of kind of wrapping up his story and that basically he like traps himself in like the vault in the bank and he is like so disturbed by the gremlins that he kind of goes a little crazy. And, and I'm not quite sure why they didn't include that and wrap up his story. I honestly don't know. Uh, I, I bought the Blu-ray for this episode because I had no access to the movie and there are deleted scenes involving Judge Reinhold. I have yet to watch them. So I don't okay. really know. Uh, and there's even like commentary with those deleted scenes that maybe explains why they took it out. I would just assume it's like, you know, oh, you know what? Like this isn't important enough to keep in the movie. Sure. Like, you know, we, we understand that this guy's a jerk at work, but do we really need to see what he's doing this during this emergency? Probably not. So we can we can leave that out as my guess. Or do we want the aerobics gremlin in the bar? We can't have both. <laughs> We're going with the aerobics. Tough gremlin. choices. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It's the same thing with like Mr. Corbin, the his boss at the yeah. bank. Like both of those characters just completely disappear halfway through the movie. Yeah, and and the I know that that actor was the guy. He's a he's the grandpa in Sixteen Candles. Yeah, yeah. he is grandpa i like to think that like as judge reinhold said like he's gonna have that guy's job in a couple years and already that guy was was kind of like commuting so he was only in the bank a couple days a week and then he lived kind of far away (laughs) so at the end of the week he was already he wasn't even in this like vicinity anymore wow that's that's my backstory (laughs) (laughs) this was so the actor's name is edward andrews and this was his last role i did read that Uh, in the imdb trivia r.i.p Yeah, he was great. I I have a special place in my heart for him as uh, the grandpa from Sixteen Candles. But I mean, to a lesser degree, and I this is this is one thing actually that bumps me a little bit is that they also did that with Corey Feldman's character. Yeah, well, you see him shooting the slingshot yes. at them when all the chaos is happening. So it's not it's not quite the like ghosting that they do of the other two characters, but. And, and you see him fighting back, but you don't get any closure. You mean Corey Feldman, the guy who caused all this? Oh, yeah. What? He I knocks mean, over the uh, water. It was an accident. I mean, if you want to say it was inevitable, I accept that. <laughs> I, I only wish that there were more rules that they could have broken because there were only three. If there were five, ten, they would have broken them all. They're completely incapable Inept, yes. of adhering to yes. these rules. But can we talk about Corey Feldman for a second? Oh, of course. I love Corey Feldman. Right? I mean, I that is something that has come up. I mean, we talk about him in the Goonies in our one of our much earlier episodes. But I I, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. Like I usually say, I, I try to stay away from like too much of like the personal like conversations about actors' lives. But it it on the one hand is absolutely astounding to me the caliber of this child actor and how good he was in so many films in the eighties. And then it, it kind of devastates me kind of the, where, where his career went. And I think in large part because of, you know, him being taken advantage of in, in multiple ways as a child, but he is so good in this. Like to me, I'm, I'm sorry, but like, he's a better actor than the lead. 
Yeah. Is that no, controversial? no offense to Zach Galligan. He's a, right. he's a, a wonderful person and a, a decent actor, but he's not a great actor. Right. Uh, and, but, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, but yeah, uh, Corey Feldman, uh, I'm, I was so saddened to learn that like that was his experience. And that's why he got involved yeah. in drugs with the other Corey was there. That's like trying to suppress these horrible mm-hmm. things that happened to them mm-hmm. as children. Um, but yeah, like he was, he was wonderful on screen. Just yesterday, my girlfriend was going through HBO. There's Friday the 13th part four, the final chapter. Playing. Yes. Like, we were like, okay, well this is on. We need to watch this now because it, it's, it's the last half an hour of the movie. It's the best stuff. We missed the Crispin Glover dance, but we got to see Ted where's the corkscrew, which is the best. So that oh, the Crispin Glover dance. <laughs> That's amazing. But yeah, I just like look, this is a silly movie. And so I'm not I'm not like coming at any of the actors too hard to put in these like Oscar caliber performances. But I just think that Corey Feldman, I mean, you you just can see it from certain actors. And and as much as I'm always impressed by a talented actor who is an adult, I'm that much more in awe of a child actor who can put in a performance that just honestly feels really natural. Yeah, I think maybe the only critique I would have is that here's this creature that no one has like really ever seen. And he's kind of bored of Gizmo after like five minutes of just reading comics. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, over it. <laughs> there are five of them. He's like, Oh, now it's not special. Whatever. So- <laughs> sorry. I caused the destruction of our town, whatever. And didn't he wait, am I, am I like imagining this that before he spilled the water, didn't he mention that he like wanted one or like, he's like, where'd you get it or something like that? I think so. Yeah. He, he's like, you know, yeah. can I get one? Is I think right. something he said, right. but then as soon as one's available, he's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, no, this, is, this seems like a lot of work and uh, no. Okay. Wait, so I can't take him in the all- bath with me. Not, not, not taking that. Nah. nah. Can't play in the snow. Well, you can, you can. But- <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's talk about Mr. Peltzer, the dad. And this guy is. Well, let's just say for sake of argument, you're sure. late to a meeting. Right. 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 You forgot to shave. Right. <laughs> um, okay. So none of us are. Uh, I'm making a little bit of assumption here, but I, I, I think I can say pretty confidently that between Derek, myself and Justin, none of us are like, you know, Inventors? In, well, I was oh. going to say, like, the people probably responsible for the well-being of their families. Uh, yeah, like, fair to say. Where yeah. you got to be, like, pulling in an income to keep a roof over the head of your wife and son. Yeah. I would dude, say, that, yeah, okay. He needs to give up the dream and get a job <laughs> in a factory somewhere. Thank you for picking up what I was putting down. <laughs> I mean, the amount of money that must have been just dumped into all of these like Peltzer branded items, like these prototypes in the house. Maybe he sold some of them successfully. I don't know if, if it's all, if it's all riding on the bathroom, buddy, they are screwed. Well, they say like, uh, you know, uh, your dad's inventions work for the first couple of days, but then they don't really do much after that. Like, yeah. like the, mm-hmm. the egg cracker apparently worked the first two times, but, uh, now like we, one. it doesn't. Uh, and the, the, the orange juice thing? The orange juice Amazing. peel and juicer. How hard is Look, it you to put in- peel the orange before you put it in the juicer? Please <laughs> peel the orange first. You put one orange in, and I swear to God, like two gallons of orange juice comes out. <laughs> it's amazing. It made me think of that Simpsons when uh, it's Troy McClure and Dr. Nick, you know, 
yeah. they put a whole bag of oranges in and they get one drop. Yeah. You, you got all that from a bag of oranges? <laughs> I mean, he seems like a decent guy. You know, he seems like he's a dad who wants to do right by his kid. He's trying to find a special gift for him for Christmas. Is there a trust fund involved somewhere that I'm just not yes. aware of? That- like, I'm just like not understanding how they have the home that they do, how he can still bankroll all of these like abysmal inventions. Billy basically supports him. That's what Judge Reinhold says in a mocking manner. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Whoa, I missed that. Yeah, he's like, you basically support. He says it in such this like derisive way, like it's an awful thing. You're basically supporting your parents. Okay. What's wrong with that? If, you're, if your yeah. father was like laid off, like yeah, I gotta support him. He couldn't get another job. He he's disabled. My dad has a plate in his head. Well, this actually brings up a question for me because, like, how old are we saying that Kate and Billy are? I, I'm assuming they are uh, nineteen twenty. That's probably more realistic. Okay. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if you're in an extraordinary circumstance, like say, hey, 2020 COVID and like your parents lose their jobs and and you have to kind of step up like that makes sense. I get that like extraordinary circumstances sometimes mean that you have to do something like that, even if maybe that's a lot of bur- that's a huge burden for somebody who's so young. But I feel like he should not be the person supporting his parents. Well, I think that his mom just isn't able to work because of the violent assault charges that I'm assuming that she was convicted of at some point. Because <laughs> she handles those gremlins like a wow, fucking Wow, Lynn Peltzer is a fucking badass. And handy with a blade. Yeah. Wow. I mean... She was- takes out three of them like, <laughs> like bada bing, bada boom. They're gone. <laughs> Oh yeah, that that was fascinating to see on that documentary, the the Gremlins a puppet story, like how they were trying and trying and trying to get a puppet that could actually launch plates, and then they yes. just had to end up faking it in the editing, like glue the thing to his hand, and we'll make the hand go out, but we it can't actually throw it. Like the fact it, that they even tried to get it to actually throw it, like like no, we want to actually throw the plate. That's insane that they even tried insane. to do that. It's a movie, man. You just make it look like it's yeah. happening. It's- <laughs> Not everything has to actually happen. Okay, so we have to make these animals? We have to make these creatures? Okay, we need to find a guy who's like six foot five. He's totally deformed on one side of his face, and all of his teeth are missing. <laughs> I know that reference. <laughs> well, these. It's yeah, my other Corey Feldman reference I just go to, you know? These movies exist in the same universe. Yeah. 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 I mean. Oh, wait, how is that? There's a reference at the oh, beginning. Yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it it makes sense. Same writer for yeah. for both movies, Chris Columbus mm-hmm. and um, same I mean, producer, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Same same kind of main players, and uh, I I love those little things. I mean, and that actually also brings up like like yeah, that to me is really fun. I love when filmmakers can have fun doing those little things. And they know that that means like so much to the fans. There's a little ET plushie at the end. Exactly. Yeah. So like, I love when Spike is hiding behind the toys and you're like, Oh, there's ET. I don't, I, I, I'm assuming you probably did. um, But Justin, did you catch the names on that theater marquee? I can't say I did. That's okay. So another little fun Easter egg. So there, there's kind of, um, two trains of thought about whether or not they were actual working titles or they were just like the titles that um, 
sometimes studios use to disguise what the actual movie is when they like show. Oh yeah, the one was like a, a boy in something in the a boy's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so that is ET, and then Watch the Skies is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, that's I right. To, yeah, I I, I, I do remember um, reading that in the IMDb trivia. Yeah. One um, correction real quick. I believe. Oh, what did I say? I believe you called him Spike, but he is in fact Stripe. Oh, sorry. I I, meant to say Stripe. No, thank you. Our listeners will kill us for that. Yeah. No, no, no. I appreciate you doing that. I'm I'm not. I'm I'm not uh, so egotistical that I can't accept that when I say something. Like when Bobby was fighting Spike in the uh, in that store at the end. It was crazy. Let's do it. Let's yeah. launch into. Uh, first of all, that was amazing. That was amazing. And you do it, it like what's amazing about that is that you do a great Howie Mandel doing Gizmo. Also, like, Bobby Mandel doing Bobby's World and doing Skeeter. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or yeah, he, yeah, Scooter. Sorry, Scooter. It was Scooter and Skeeter were the brother and sister on uh, Muppet Babies. Muppet mm-hmm. Babies, um, which, you know, I guess I never realized how much voice work he did. No, I had no idea. I yeah. saw the credits and I was I was amazed by that. And I was amazed at the fact that both Optimus Prime and Megatron, yes. their voices were in Gremlins at some point. Yeah, it was uh, Frank Welker, right? Yep. Yes. And uh, Peter Cullen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Frank yep. Welker voices everything. I mean, I guess when you got the voice or you have the ability also to change your voice, I don't know. The, the, the thing I, he does more so than anything is animals in movies. If you have a, a dog or a cat, just like it's Frank Welker. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, Howie Mandel did, I think, a great job. It certainly, I think, adds to the adorableness of Gizmo and... I, I'm always really impressed. I mean, I, I gotta say like both to you personally, Justin, and just as a whole, like I'm always really impressed by voice actors because I think that there's just this added level of difficulty to be able to pull off the right kind of like tone for a character when you're not necessarily like, you know, face to face with another actor and like using that energy for a performance. My my quick question is yeah. the voice that you just did, was that Gizmo or was that the gremlin holding the puppet in the bar scene? <laughs> uh that was more so just a uh, Gizmo, but uh <laughs> I'm trying to think of uh just <laughs> what's the little puppet say like that was that was it, yeah. We might just have a second half of this podcast where we're just asking Justin to do voices. Oh please. Uh Smithers well, hand me that ice cream scoop. Ice cream scoop. <laughs> Damn it, man. This isn't rocket science. It's brain surgery. Wow. Uh, you're you're like legit, Justin. You're really good at this. I, I cannot do a voice of anybody, sometimes not even myself, to save my life. You, can, I, you do your own voice very well. <laughs> it was a skill I kind of picked up as a kid. Uh, it was that kind of defense mechanism thing where, you know, I was a little husky and got picked on. And so I would... Uh, imitate you know jim carrey or something and i would do the mm-hmm. voice and stuff and it was more so that i i guess i'm i'm terrible when it comes to like learning music or like memorizing songs i played instruments in high school and stuff and i could never memorize my marching band music but i can hear how someone speaks or i can hear an intonation and i can just kind of i don't know hear it enough that i can then say oh 
so-and-so says it like this, like, you know, Christopher Walken says, hello. Wow. I, I, I can do a one-word imitation. Hello. <laughs> no, that's that's a good, <laughs> like, it's a good one. Yeah, if you were just going to use one word for Christopher Walken, that's that's the word. <laughs> yeah, that worked perfectly. Cowbell. I guess that well, could be one. Yeah. That but, could. but hello. Yeah, if you want to cheat. <laughs> if you want to make it easy. Um, no, I... I mean, again, like I said, I'm I'm always really impressed by the work of like a strong voice actor. And I think that, I mean, I'm trying to think of other movies where there's like a similar kind of creature that we're supposed to. And of course, I'm like drawing a blank at the moment. I, I mean, but- I guess the the best compliment I can give to all the voice actors who were part of Gremlins is that I never even thought about. Right. Like I mm-hmm. just... It just, they fit so well that you just hear like Gizmo or Stripe or any any of the other gremlins with their dialogue and you just believe that it's them. Oh yeah, totally. Like, you know, the fact that the gremlins have this very kind of limited vocabulary, you know, yum, yums. It's like, okay, that now I know he wants food. Yeah. He wants candy and, uh, and Gizmo Kaka, apparently he says that at the end. Does he? He he says, yeah. Gizmo says Kaka? Uh, no, Stripe says Gizmo Kaka mm. when huh. when Gizmo is towards the end about to like launch up. I think it's like the snow shovel to get up to the okay. shade. Oh, he's like, he's okay, like Gizmo. It's just saying Gizmo. Shit, it's Gizmo yeah. Kaka. Yeah, Got yeah. It. So they they're like these kind of murderous little things, but they're not going to swear. <laughs> I mean, that's why, again, like, they're really interesting creatures. I mean, look, I, I do I do think it was a smart choice by Spielberg. I know that he gave, you know, the special effects crew just probably all heart palpitations when he was making his changes in the middle of production. Yeah, if it but, was like Stripe seeing Gizmo and he's like, Gizmo, bitch, then that would have been <laughs> such a different movie. But I, to prime I, time, Gizmo. <laughs> I do think that it was a really smart choice to separate out those two characters because I I do think that it um I don't know the I, I mean I do feel almost a greater connection. This sounds like kind of a silly way to say this, but a, a greater connection to Gizmo, maybe because of the cuteness, maybe because of the voice. Who knows? But um and and just this innocence about him, like when they have him up on the dartboard, and there's uh, that terrified look on I'm, his face. I am my heart is breaking for him in that moment, and uh and and say, like kind of samesies. Like that. This is the only reason why I'm like, yeah, those gremlins have to go is because <laughs> when they um string up the the dog oh yeah oh they weren't even gremlins yet they were just evil mugwise i know Uh, and that that like hurt my heart because i just can't see an animal okay actually that brings me to a a, something i definitely wanted to bring up with you guys i literally just saw a light bulb explode over your head right now. yes so okay so the chick um let me get to her name because i'm like forgetting her name oh the the Uh, mean old lady Yes. The Wicked Witch of the West with Ebenezer Scrooge. First of all, yes. Yeah. Right? I mean, she literally almost says the exact line, like, I'll get you my pretty. Like, she just basically says the first half. And your little dog. I don't want your money. I want your dog. So, Justin, could you please tell me how you felt when she, like, many times over was talking about how she's going to give his dog a slow (laughs) 
painful death if she gets her hands on him. What the fuck? I mean, like, as a kid, yeah, that's terrifying. Now I'm just like, you've got some issues to deal with, lady. Like, I think you need to see a psychiatrist because you are, like, intending on hurting animals. Like, you are a sociopath. Now that we didn't know that already with her, like, the, the woman with her kids, you know, mommy, I'm hungry. Me too. Like, my husband and I are going to be like two days late on the $10 we can't make up on our rent. Can mm-hmm. we get an extension for two days? Well, no, you can't. I'm going to throw you out. Yeah. She it was like, okay. yeah, you, you, she's just an evil person. If she's throwing out a wife, a husband and two kids on Christmas and the kids right in front of her are like, I'm already hungry. Yeah, like my stomach hurts because I haven't had I, food. <laughs> I, I will say that it was in some ways satisfying to watch her like rocket through the window, even though the cut of her in her like her little Hilarious. Like, thing, like I don't know what you would call Le- that. Like uh, a chairlift. Like lift. Mobilized chair. Yeah, chairlift. So the cut reminded me of the infamous cut from Taken Three, where Liam Neeson is trying to hop over a fence. <laughs> I only like, know that like, from Relator Media. <laughs> you get like 20 cuts of her going. I'm like, is this like a, a 10 story house? Yeah, it's it is a long stairwell. She makes but- it though and launches out, and it's satisfying, but also I kind of wanted a more gruesome death for her, given how gruesome other parts of the movie are. Yeah, she got off a little easy. Yeah. But I I just okay, first of all, I do love that they were taking such obvious inspiration from the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was really fun. I think that, again, I love when filmmakers do that. And and so that was really enjoyable to watch. But even in the Wizard of Oz, I mean, I guess she does talk about how they're, like, going to put down the dog. She does. But she doesn't do it in, like, she doesn't speak about it in such, like, detailed, gruesome fashion. Yeah, like, like she, in The Wizard of Oz, she's like, I'm gonna, like, take him and, like, have him put down, versus yes. I'm gonna put him in my dryer on high. Like, yeah. that's fucking evil. Yeah, that's not cool. Like, she is so demented, and and obviously, obviously the filmmakers don't want you to, you know, they, they want you to hate her. Yeah, they, they but... want you to cheer when her chair lands in front of the cop car. Exactly. So, so cool like their intentions and and the way they executed them work but i i was like i still feel like you could still hate her without her having multiple lines about how she's going to make sure that the dog dies a horrible death the only way it would have i could have hated her character more is if kate's character was like and then miss deagle pushed my father exactly down <laughs> in down, the chimney and down killed the chimney. him <laughs> And then we need to talk, too, about Kate, like, not only works at the bank, but now she, like, bartends and waitresses for free at this dive bar, like, just to help the bartender out. Like, I didn't Let's that. talk like, about it. She, she just, she likes this guy well enough that she's going to work there for nothing? Come on, Kate. You're like, do you, do your parents Don't not work? Or does your happy. mother not work? Does she have to work two jobs for your mother, Kate? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, she, um. Maybe she gets free booze. Who knows? Maybe. Well, and that's the maybe. thing too. If she's only uh, nineteen twenty, maybe that's uh, she. She can serve drinks, but she can't drink them. Yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> it. It. She definitely, for me, was. Um, I. I. I don't think this is controversial either to say that she was the character with the most pathos. Like she. She's had a hard life, and and she went through something incredibly traumatic. She adds that much needed depth to Gremlins. Exactly. Yeah, and I really feel for her i also agree with you justin that like i i didn't 
quite understand what her life was about. Like it, I I think that you're both right. I think they probably are in that 1920 age range. And so I thought, one, it was kind of interesting that neither of them seemed to be, like, pursuing college. So there was that going on. I also thought it was kind of strange that, like, arguably Kingston Falls is, like, a smaller town. And it does seem like everybody kind of knows each other. And so I was kind of shocked that Billy had no idea what had happened to her dad. Yeah. Like that seemed like a big plot hole. Um, uh, maybe, but maybe they moved to town when he was ten, and she her her died when she was seven, and it never came. That's out. a good point. Yeah, maybe maybe they both hadn't lived there their entire lives. What you call plot holes, I just call invitations to create some backstories. <laughs> fair point. Oh, you think your imagination, Anna? <laughs> It just it just seems strange to me, and it seemed like that like that's the thing is that I I loved her speech, but it felt like them getting to the place where she has to give her speech felt a little wonky. It felt like that was like a little force where he's like, I don't get it. Why do you hate Christmas? Like it, I just hate when things are like so kind of like on the nose. <laughs> okay, but, we have a couple minutes. Yeah, I'm going to tell let's, you. Let's talk about this. I'll give you um, that. It's a little it's a little ham fisted in there. Yes, thank you, but. I do really like her character, and I think that, um, I mean, this was really interesting to me because, again, I'm sure you've probably read this for yourself, but that part of the reason why she was paired up with Zach Galligan is because apparently they had, quote, chemistry. Did they? Um, I mean... My guess is Phoebe Cates has chemistry with just about anybody, and Zach Galligan was really lucky. (laughs) I think that's a perfect way of stating that. Um, I do think that she is the stronger actor. I think arguably she also had had more experience at that point in time. Um, I did read somewhere that like the, the kiss scene, she, this is like, I'm going to assume not a great thing to say if you're a dude, she was like, it was kissing my, it was like kissing my brother. Mm. Wow. That is a nice back to the future reference. (laughs) Yeah, that is a good, good callback. Um, but I think part of it was because, I want to say Spielberg was like there that day and it like just made in particular Galligan like really nervous to have (laughs) him there. And so he didn't like whatever, give his best kissing work. I mean, he's already having to act alongside a puppet most of the time. He doesn't need this added pressure. I know (laughs) that's that's tough. And Uh, I do feel like I'm being a little, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to mention, like I didn't bring it up before, but uh, on the DVD commentary, they talked about how, one of the other reasons why Joe Dante really wanted to keep her speech was because it's really the only scene that gives her any agency. Otherwise he's just like that coworker at work and the girl who knows that the gas uh, is in the boiler room behind the theater. Like she doesn't otherwise have much else to do. That's, that's an excellent point. And I appreciate so much that Dante could see that. Um, I always, especially for a film that came out in the eighties when Maybe these things weren't talked about as much as they are now for for good reason. Um, I appreciate that he wanted to like actually have reasons for her being in this world and and being along for this journey. So like that's awesome. I, I'm like really glad to hear that. And that makes a lot of sense. So um, I think it's time to move to like we you guys brought it up briefly a little bit ago. The music mm. score. Yeah, they really they really like knock you in the face with that music. When when shit's about to go down, you know it cuz you get that music. 
just mm-hmm. melting your face off. Oh, or that scene when it, the, the snowplow bursts through the house and yeah. the music kicks in. It's <laughs> so good. Uh, can we also just talk about how much we love Dick Miller? Or is it just me? Yes. Let's do it. Let's uh, do right. it. I mean, like, we can stick with music for a bit, but we need to talk about Dick Miller in, in a little while. <laughs> Mr. Futterman. Mr. Futterman. I mean, it. you know, I do my research on, on kind of some of the main players in every movie that we talk about. And uh, he's great. I I know, like, and it's funny because, like, he doesn't have a big role, but he has, like, a really, he also is a, a gentleman who has, like, a really distinct voice to me. Yeah. And, and, and a look, a look to go with it. And oh, so, yeah. like, I remember him from The Terminator. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that's kind of the main thing that I, and, and he's, he, he, so, so, like, almost 200 acting credits on IMDb. But that is the one thing that I remember him from. Um, for anybody out there that's, like, not, not recalling, he is the, like, gun shop um, proprietor. Yeah, you know gets, your guns. Gets, gets blown away. Yeah. Hey, um, you can't do that. But, and, and do that. Uh, so that's where I know him from. But I mean, he he's a great he's a great sympathetic character, I think, in this movie, although he's a bit of a I'm racist. Being, yes, he yes. does. Uh, he does buy American. He he's definitely uh, not a fan of foreign imports. Wait, what's that word? Is it xenophobe? Xenophobe. Yeah. But he also, like, the reason why I think he has, like, a, like, he's just kind of one of those sad people to me, um, which I think is why he acts the way he does. I'm not trying to excuse his behavior by any means. If I had to like, bet, I'm going to say that Murray Futterman voted for Donald Trump. Yikes. Even, yeah, no, if he's even still alive, because Dick Miller, I think, passed a few years ago, but oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so did uh, Trump's but Mr. chances. Futterman, Mr. Futterman, yes, is still alive and kicking, uh, still buying American. He, yeah, he's definitely a buy American type of dude. Um, and he, you know, they should have gotten that zenith. Um, but, <laughs> but I, I do think he's just kind of a sad guy. Like, and I don't really know if it's just one of those things where like his life never really amounted to what he thought it could be. But, you know, like, it makes me feel really bad for him when um, Kate is trying to convince him not to drive his. Uh, I was surprised they let him even get into the cab. Yes. I was yeah. like, you're, you're seriously considering letting him even put the keys into this tractor is yes. drunk as he is right now. You guys are you guys are terrible bartenders. Why does he drive a tractor around everywhere? I don't know. In okay. case someone flags him down and says, hey, plow my driveway real quick. Oh, is that like what his job is? Yeah, it's a snow plow, but it's, it's also like a tractor. Kit. Like he says it's his plow. Like I, I imagine he makes his money in the wintertime plowing driveways or like plowing parking lots. That's my guess what he does for a living. Oh, my goodness. That didn't even occur to me. Thank you for explaining that. Mr. Futterman like, is the plow king. I just thought he was like an eccentric guy who likes yeah. to drive around his tractor. Um, <laughs> and it didn't that even connect for me. But yeah, I mean, yeah. like, I know. I know. No, um, I, I always mention this why like when Billy's leaving the house, it seems like Mr. Futterman's coming home. He's been up since two in the morning plowing driveways. Gotcha. Man. I mean, as many times as I've seen this movie, that just never connected for me. It will play um, off a friend who does plow driveways in the winter. <laughs> I, it, you know what it makes me think of? Um, sorry, not a not an eighties movie, but have either of you seen Beautiful Girls? 
it's the only other movie I can think of where in, where they plow snow. I oh. can't say I have. It's not coming to mind. Who, who's in Beautiful Girls? Uh, Timothy Hutton. Um, Mira Savino. No, have not. Matt Sorry. Dillon. Rosie O'Donnell. Well, actually, it's uh, Uma Thurman. And they're all it's, snowplowers? Uh, and they, the it's ju- like about the dudes the... are the dudes are in okay. the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Timothy Hutton, he like it, it, it's kind of similar. I'm not going to say it's a spiritual sequel to Gremlins, to Gremlins but, <laughs> but uh, kind of that whole small town vibe where okay. everybody knows each other. Everybody's kind of grown up together. Um, Timothy Hutton escaped to New York, but he comes home for the holidays. Oh, but but the reason why he's home when he is is also because they're having like a high school reunion. I so from your description, it does sound like a small town in the winter is way more fun with gremlins. I think so. Yeah, as much destruction as they may cause, a lot it, more was, going it on. was a more fun time <laughs> than in Beautiful Girls. Small um, town in the winter, as far as in Wisconsin, as far as I know, is is uh oh, are you going to the pub? Yeah, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> but he, I mean. I, what I was going to say about Murray is, and and I know that in some ways you can say this about a lot of characters in a lot of different movies, but as much as he is a fun, eccentric, entertaining character to watch, did he need to be in the movie? Yes, because he gave the movie its name. Uh, yeah, because yeah, he, he's I the mean, one that explains that gremlins were a thing in World War II. Okay. Yeah. I mean, could that have been explained <laughs> by somebody else? Did he have to be the one that... I suppose... What would they even call Jones the movie? What are these things? The bar. What are these things? <laughs> that was the title. What are these things? <laughs> I'm sorry. What, were, what did you say, Justin? I, I said Chuck Jones, the animator who was in the bar giving Billy advice in his drawing, he could have been the one to do it because I think he's the one that did that Looney Tunes gremlin yes. short. I actually think that would have been genius. But that's just me, which yeah. again, it's like it's already a really short movie. And so they could have just like removed this character and actually completed the arcs to the other characters that were introduced that that's in the sequel. Yeah. Well, you know what? And I don't and think it is, actually. I was going to say that um, what's interesting to me now, we are going to concentrate on on just Gremlins, the original film. But uh, what are your thoughts, Justin? Because I, I have read that Dante actually prefers the sequel. To the original film. Yeah, and I think it's because he got to do much more Looney Tunes stuff. I mean, again, I had seen that movie as a youth maybe twice, and then I hadn't Mm -hmm. seen it in probably maybe even 20 years maybe. And then I kind of came back to it, and again, I'm a big fan of the guys at Red Letter Media who are also out of Milwaukee. They're on YouTube. They do tons of like videos about bad movies and good movies, and uh, they did a little video about Gremlins too, and... I hadn't seen it in so long. And I was like, oh, yeah, the movie is kind of weird. And I went back and watched it. And yeah, it's every other second. There's a new joke and a new gag and a psych gag like, or, or movie reference. Like there's a scene where Christopher Lee is carrying a pod from uh, in the uh, Body Snatchers, from the 50s Body Snatchers. Like, And unless you know that movie, you don't get that joke. But he's carrying around a 1950s pod. And it's just like for no reason other than, oh, did you see that? I mean, I, I... I usually will go for the original any day of the week. Um, that being said, I mean, like one thing, and the thing is, is that this is so hard to even like say that this is like a true sequel to the movie because I think they have very different tones. But like, for instance, like Alien and Aliens. Oh, yeah. No, I would agree. Yeah. Uh, one movie is good for one thing. The other movie is good for a totally other reason, even though they are the same kind of genre or, uh, you know, um, characters. 
very different feelings. Like, yeah, Gremlins, I will watch at Christmas time because it has that feeling. Mm-hmm. It's, it's wintry. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's spooky. It's kind of fun. Gremlins 2 is like a Saturday afternoon. You guys want to watch a funny movie? Gremlins 2 is on. Like, that's the feeling of Gremlins 2 for me. Okay. that That's actually a really excellent way of like kind of. The new batch. Yeah. Yeah. Of um of that. Now, speaking of, we, you know, talk about this a little bit um, in our Die Hard episode about what is a Christmas movie? <laughs> I mean, this is obviously like it is set during Christmas, primarily Christmas Eve. Christmas stuff is everywhere. I mean, how do you feel about like where where do you fall on this whole like is it a Christmas movie conversation? I feel that, you know, if it takes place at Christmas uh, for the majority of the movie, it's a Christmas movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, you know, I wouldn't call it a Christmas movie, even though it does take place at Christmas. Like that's a Shane Black movie that I love that. And a lot of his stuff does take place at Christmas. I wouldn't call it a Christmas movie, even though the main stay does take place around that time. Christmas doesn't really get into the plot too much. Gremlins, I would say, yes, this is definitely a Christmas movie because you've got Phoebe Cates' story about Santa Claus. Gizmo is a Christmas gift. Exactly. Uh, yeah. That gets the whole thing rolling. And he had Die Hard, too. The reason why he's there is it's a Christmas party. It's the only reason exactly. why he's coming across the country. It's the only reason why there's someone else in the building is because this Christmas yep. party was going on late. That's a Christmas movie because of that, for me. I totally agree. And this kind of goes back to... Um, can't remember i think we were talking about this before we started recording Uh oh um but but in terms of like people getting you know all up in arms about what is a christmas movie i personally think that if you enjoy it and you want it to be part of your christmas movie rotation who is anyone else to tell you otherwise i think if i learn a lesson and in gremlins i learned the lesson of follow the rules follow the rules (laughs) yeah everything would have been fine just follow the rules no more Mogwais, no more Gremlins. We're all good. Uh, to, I mean, I was oh, saying, to quote a podcast yeah. that I listen to quite a bit, uh, it's okay to like a movie. And like, if, if you want to like watch that. Die Hard at Christmas, it's okay. Yep. If you say, no, yeah. it's not, that's okay too. You know, uh, I'm trying to think like Bridesmaids. Everyone, as far as I know, loves that movie. I do not find it funny. I did not enjoy it. I thought there were story arcs in that that were uncompleted. And it's like, you know what? It's okay to like Bridesmaids. You guys go for it. I really didn't like it. So we're going to wrap up this podcast now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I it's love Spencer Wig. I swear to God. <laughs> it's okay not to like a movie. It's okay not to like a movie. Yeah. It's no, okay to write. I, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, I came up on conversation the other day. I was like, oh, I did I something. Was, oh, I was talking to someone about uh, Ghostbusters, uh, the 2016 movie. And I had to hold my tongue because I was like, yeah, it, I just didn't like it that much. It was okay, but I wanted to like say, "Oh, I didn't like it because I hated bridesmaids," and this was all the same people. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I mean, what I'm what I'm picking up is just that like that brand of humor doesn't do it for you. Kind of, yeah. Uh, the I, well, I saw bridesmaids with my oldest sister, and one of the things that we agreed on was like, "This is so stupid." Was that she had this thing of like she was a baker. She had this bakery that failed. And then like we see her like baking that one cupcake for herself in that one scene and how kind of sad that was. But then she has this split with her friend who's getting married, Maya Rudolph. Wouldn't it have been better if 
to get back in her good graces. Maybe she had ruined the cake she was going to be getting. Maybe she makes her a new wedding cake for free, and it reprises her love for baking, and she wants to try the shop again, or something like that. Like, wouldn't that have been good if, like, baking came back in the story as part of how it closes that arc? But it didn't, and it was just like, well, then what was the point of all that baking stuff? That's actually a really interesting point. I never thought about that. I think you got something there. It never bumped me because I know that sometimes when something, like, very meaningful to you fails you just it's too painful to try to go back to it so that's that's kind of how I explained that away but I do think that that would have been a really lovely way for that part of her character traits or whatever to come back into the film and I think that would have been yeah that would have been really nice what, speaking of sure sure the, the baking in sure, bridesmaids sure. yeah yeah it reminds me of Billy's drawings <laughs> that went <Yes>. nowhere <laughs> I mean, same, same thing. Like, that's why, look, I love this movie. It, it It's in my heart. I, I enjoy watching it. I know it's kind of silly. I know it's not something that you, you should be taking too seriously. But it does feel like the first half of this movie is an entirely different film than the second half of this movie. Yeah, I would agree that there's a lot of things that are just like set up, set up, set up, and then it disappears because this yeah. tidal wave has come through and washed it all away, this tidal wave of gremlins. And in a way that makes sense because, I mean, the yeah, these creatures just quite literally take over the town. And so it in a way makes sense to me that everything goes to the wayside. But as somebody who enjoys film and thinks about you know story and and script analysis and the whole deal it's like whoa 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 all these things are introduced that there's no payoff for given that they opposite in back to the future where everything is set up that pays off later yeah i mean i i I know that that script in particular is usually analyzed in screenwriting classes because it is as close as you get to a perfect script um because of everything that you just said well, so, and when we were talking about the documentary for the for the puppets, I mean, if if they're if they didn't know what Gizmo was going to look like or that Gizmo was going to exist until production was mm-hmm. was was happening, I guess it makes sense that the movie, like it's it's actually not bad considering that mm-hmm. Gizmo wasn't even around mm-hmm. until they were like already through the through the production. That's yeah. why I'll always be so impressed with you know the individuals who are like hustling, scrambling not sleeping, like doing all these things to make a movie come together, even if the final product maybe isn't great. And I'm not saying that about Gremlins. Because like I it love, is great. Because it is great. Um, but, you know, I, I think that that is something that is just still always kind of missed on a lot of people is how much hard work goes into even the the most basic of films that, yeah. you know, Oh, yeah. doesn't really never takes off but okay so we we have been having an amazing conversation but before we wrap up we're ready for our first break and we'll back say, I say, I, i've got more to say we could i want to talk about oh, other joe dante movies i want to talk about him working with roger corman <laughs> <laughs> oh that's interesting well i want to get back to jerry goldsmith okay the composer um i, I i'm ashamed of myself because <laughs> I didn't really, I wasn't familiar with the name. And, and then when I was like looking at his like credits, I was like, wow, how have I not been aware of, of who this gentleman is? 
And I mean, I'll I'll kind of like save my whole rundown um, for when Derek and I kind of go over all of that. But I mean, between like from from Patton to Gremlins to Total Recall. I mean, holy cow. Total Recall, by the way, the the original is a great score. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a good yeah. movie. Oh, and then another connection there. You got Rob Bottin. Well, he didn't do, Rob Bottin didn't do stuff on Gremlins. He did every other Joe Dante movie, but he also did Total Recall. Okay, okay. I mean, I I agree with Derek. They are very uh, forward. <laughs> with with the main theme, musical and, and theme. Justin, you're right. That scene when the when the plow crashes through is probably the most like out there use of the song. It's like, man, <laughs> it's like we're just we're just opening it up. We're yeah. just like yeah. going for it. Turn yeah. that turn that gain all the way up. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I love it. And I think that the score is absolutely perfect for this movie. Um, I think that he hit just the perfect balance of mischievous and uh, slightly terrifying and, and all those different elements. Do we know what happened to the Futtermans? Do they die? Are they killed in that? Because then it's even weirder. Well, that that's, this, another, like... that's another um, kind of loop that isn't closed. Well, yeah. I know they from... return in the sequel. And then I think, yes. oh, okay. yeah. I think after the attack, we hear the police officers yes. getting a phone call from them saying that they were mm-hmm. just attacked in their house. Yes. So I think they're okay. They got out, but they for okay. sure had a good fright. I heard the, the like the reference in the in the sheriff station, but I was slightly distracted by seeing Mike from Breaking Bad yeah. in the sheriff's station. And then I just heard him mention the Futtermans, but I didn't know if someone had like called it in or if it was them calling in themselves. Mike from Breaking Bad, whose name I should know, because he's also in Beverly Hills Cop and Buckaroo yeah. Banzai and a myriad of other things. Yeah, he, I, he, he to me is like one of those actors that like really comes into his own as an older actor. Like, yeah. uh, like that looks wise to be completely shallow about it. And I, I don't mean that in any kind of like whatever way. I just mean like he looks more like himself as an older person. Does he accepted his receding hairline as an older man and stopped trying to hang on to his scraps. Yeah, like he just he has a look. Jonathan as, Banks. As a yeah, Jonathan Banks, as an older you. older actor. Mm-hmm. Um so it was when when you mentioned that to me watching it, Derek I was like, "Oh, that's him?" Like some sometimes actors like um And of course he's in better better call Saul too because he's yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. Okay, so Justin, you mentioned that there were a couple of things that we haven't hit yet. Like, what what is something about Gremlins that you feel we need to share? Oh, uh, more so. <laughs> <laughs> Not even Gremlins. Just, uh, I, I love Joe Dante. Uh, growing up, uh, all of his movies were things that, uh, not even all, I say all, but like, I, I didn't see The Howling until high school, but like, Explorers <laughs> and Inner Space oh, movies howling. that I just loved. And yeah, the howling man, the howling makes it is gremlins a, look like the godfather. Tri- yeah, it is a trip, a trip <laughs> and a half. But actually, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because that does remind me of something I wanted to mention earlier, which is and this applies to both films. OK, so as far as the special effects go, um, both the howling and gremlins, you know, it's it, it 
nothing was perfected in either of those films, but because they were learning, they were like literally learning as they went in the howling about like, how do you do a werewolf transformation? How do you do a werewolf sex scene? Well, that, yeah, yeah, that, that also happened. But in in the howling too, you don't touch each other. (laughs) (laughs) That's how they perfected it. We got to perfect it by not having them touch. (laughs) But in both films, um, what I read is that there was just a stylistic choice where they're like, look, part of the, like part of the reason quite practically why like the gremlins and, and gizmo cannot be in direct sunlight is because mm. that would really show off the <laughs> rough edges mm. of of the practical effects and so um very intentionally they needed to keep these creatures in the dark and that's also why in the howling those transformation scenes are like kind of taking place i mean it makes sense like anything that's like horror-esque like having it happen at night kind of just makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but they did that just to, you know, kind of soften. Um, don't get these puppets wet. You'll ruin it. Yeah. Don't put them in the light. Cause everyone will see. Yeah. And, uh, we need another rule. No eating after midnight. Yeah. Cause they that, get that bloated. Made up. Cause they get bloated. <laughs> they get gassy. You don't want a gassy mogwai. But you, you don't want so- them gassy as you're sticking your hand up. Oh my God. <laughs> so I think that, um, actually that brings me to like, you know, so you've mentioned what a big fan you are of Joe Dante. What What is it about his aesthetic that that really draws you to his material in his films? I think with something like The Explorers, especially, it was that mm-hmm. feeling of like, oh, my friends and I could do this. We we could yeah. get a tilt the whirl and get some lumber and build a little spaceship. All we need is the computer program to make it fly. But like the that whole like montage and explores with them building the spaceship, which is only like two minutes. I was always just like, oh man, I really want to like have my friends and I get together with like some simple tools and just build something. I, I am also a person who likes, you know, being given a project, you know, uh, in in college when we were doing theater, it was like, you know, uh, we need someone so to paint the platforms. Someone needs to re uh, uh, recover the seat of that chair. The, the seat's fallen out. We need someone to do that. And I, I was always like, well, I did that once with my dad. How about I do that? So I would love giving a project to go like, go away and make this happen. So um, I got off my tangent, but yeah, like the idea of like your friends getting together to build something that that seems so tangible. I liked that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. no, that movie is great. I'm glad you actually brought that up because that was one of the things that I still remember from it was that as outlandish as the premise is, it, it seemed not too unbelievable. Like the way that it was put together, you're like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm on board with this. They Mm -hmm. could do this. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, the kid's not a genius. He didn't come up with it, but he knows how to wire computers and someone in his dreams fed him this thing that he could possibly build. That I mean, that's an excellent point. And I think that that, that kind of brings us to kind of this like bigger overarching um, point about why we even covered these types of movies. And it's because like, obviously there's a generational component, but... I think that one thing that the 80s have did really well is like evoking this kind of like magic and what if about childhood. And I mean, obviously, like I have already said a couple times during this very episode, Steven Spielberg kind of does that better than anybody else. I mean, I'm glad that you pointed out that you think he's a pretty good director. Too. <laughs> <laughs> but but I actually really appreciate, Justin, that you're you're kind of putting forth this this. um 
this viewpoint that Joe Dante also kind of had that. And, you know, between Gremlins, um, Explorers, Inner Space, Inner Space Bar- like, yeah. yeah. So, so I personally wasn't as aware of, of his impact on 80s film. And, and I, I love that. I mean, that is always, like I've said many a time, one of my favorite things about bringing special guests on who have a particular love for a film is because they always, without fail, bring to our attention something that like just never was thought of before mm. between the two of us. So so I really appreciate that, Justin. Well, you're welcome. Um, but yeah, like, and then again, knowing Joe Dante uh, through his uh, website, uh, Trailers from Hell, I then like learned more about him working with Roger Corman when he was young and like cutting trailers for movies. And then my brother kind of got me into watching, you know, bad movies a couple years ago, like, an, Oh, isn't this fun? Isn't this bad? One of the ones that we absolutely fell in love with was death race 2000. Yeah. I know Joe Dante, I think only cut the trailer for that, but that was also like directed by Paul Bartel and start Mary Warnoff, who I love both of them. And then his first movie, Joe Dante's first movie was Hollywood Boulevard, where he just took extra footage from all these Roger Corman movies, pulled them together, and then used Paul and used Mary to like shoot these like little scenes in between like the extra footage from all these Corman movies to say like, oh, these are stunt women and they're shooting this movie today and tomorrow they're shooting this movie. And it was just like he he had made a bet kind of with Roger Corman, like Roger, if you give us so much like $100,000, I can make you a whole movie using just extra footage that I have from editing all this stuff. Hmm. Wow. I love that. I love that level of creativity and imagination. Um, that's really neat. Like I love it. And, and yeah, when our guests have like a special love for a particular like filmmaker or film, it's clear that they have kind of gone above and beyond what maybe the typical movie viewer does to learn about that filmmaker or film. And so again, like it always brings forth these stories that like I've never heard. I'm definitely checking out that uh, trailers from hell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm weirdly investigative uh, for my Myers Briggs test as a kid that always said you should be a <laughs> private investigator. <laughs> So when I, I when mean, I get an idea of something and I really glob onto it, I deep dive. But if you're giving me an assignment to study, you know, how plants make chlorophyll, I don't care. <laughs> well, I was, was going to ask you how to, uh, student. I was going to ask you about the metamorphosis from a mogwai to a gremlin, but now I won't bother. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously it's like alien shells, alien eggs. I yeah, mean, they really ripped that off. I love yeah. that they ripped it <laughs> yes. off, but they ripped it off. They, but, they did. Yeah, it was uh, it, like they they combined a lot of things from a lot of different movies mm-hmm. from um, like the the Wizard of Oz aspect. I with mean, the, same set as Back to the Future. Yeah, I mean, yeah. same uh, the Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Again, those yeah. little yep. odds, they, they yep. become a new thing. Uh, and then I, I mean, think there's this time around. I noticed that like that. Uh, if you look at the pods, uh, because uh the way I imagine it, that it kind of make a cocoon around themselves. You can kind of see the back ridge of each of the gremlins, like sticking out of it, like, like their back mm-hmm. stays mm-hmm. as it is. And then like the rest of them kind of falls, forms into a ball. So like, you can see the ridge of their back on the back of those pods. Like when they come out, I imagine like they just like yeah. kind of step out of that. No, it's, it, it's really well done. And look, nothing's original. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So again, I, I'm not, I'm not at all 
upset about the inspiration that they took from other films. Yeah, I'm oh, not no, mad about I, I, it. Did I sound yeah. upset? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Not at all. You sounded incensed. <laughs> but I'm not really. Honestly, Justin, this has been just like such a pleasure to get to speak to you about this film. Uh, you have been incredible and just thank you so very much for taking the time to talk to us today. This has been great. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me to join you when when you did in our first kind of email conversations. I was like, oh my God, yeah. that's incredible. I get to talk about a movie with these people who I listen to. That's great. Aww. Well, you know, as we usually do, we we have a lot of people in our lives that, you know, work in some way in a creative industry. And, you know, as as we've said, it's been a little bit of a strange year. But um, I was curious if you wanted to share with our listeners, like projects that you've been working on or anything like that. Oh, certainly. Well, uh, you can listen to my podcast, Go Woo-hoo. Team Venture. Uh, which I have to thank, Anna. You helped me out with getting my own podcast off the ground by helping me out and telling me how to even do that. So thank you. And he really inspired me. Uh, I will say, until you invited me to be on the podcast, I had not started my podcast. That's, we started that conversation maybe, what, two, three months ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said to myself, oh, when I go on the podcast, I need to have something to promote. What can I do? And I said, well, I've always <laughs> wanted to start a podcast. There I go. So without you, my Go Team Venture podcast would not exist. But uh, what we do there is we break down episodes of the recently canceled show, The Venture Brothers from Adult Swim. Mm. And uh, we go through episode by episode, myself and my co-host, Deanna. Uh, She's a friend who I met through improv years ago. And uh, yeah, we break down the episodes. We uh, analyze little pop culture stuff that comes up in the show. We share a lot of personal stories that relate to the stuff in the show. So it's a good time. It's usually about an hour long. Maybe just very conversational. Nice. That's very, very cool. And where can people find the podcast? You can find it on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Right. Awesome. Awesome. And you also have an Instagram yes, for I it. Say, I know that. If you uh, would like to follow the podcast on Instagram, it's at Go Team Venture Pod. And my own personal Instagram is Jut Blomquist. Uh, so it's J U T B L O M Q U I S T. Awesome. And I got to say, you're a natural. Like, it. I'm actually a little bit shocked that you hadn't started a podcast sooner because it is like the perfect vehicle for you between just how amazingly friendly and conversational you are and also like the love that you have for the material. So, And and also, I don't know if people have told you this, but you have a pretty good voice. Pretty good voice, Justin. Thank you. (laughs) uh, Yeah, the the podcast does allow me to also go and do more voices and stuff too because Mm -hmm. as I'm going through the animated series that I'm a big fan of, I, I know some of these characters, so I can just dive in and go, all right, today we're going to be talking like the pirate captain. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, Justin. Well, thank you so very much. And uh, from both Derek and myself, wishing you an amazing holiday. Thank you. Uh, happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Uh, happy holidays uh, to everyone and to both of you, especially. Thank you. And goodbye to 2020. Good riddance to bad rubbish. So that was our, as always, awesome conversation with our special guest, Justin. Thank you so very much for being on the show. You've made Dante fans of all of us. Yeah. 
It, I mean, truly, he has. Yeah, so, no, I'm yeah. Not, I wasn't joking about yeah, that. No, yeah. for realsies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Would I watch this film again? Would you watch this film again, Derek? Yeah, I think so. It, like, we comment on this, but the pacing of this movie is is such that, like, if I turned it on, or if it just happened to be on, even towards the beginning, I'd probably stick around, because it's not a long movie, and it moves pretty well, and it is a fun, ridiculous movie, and as much as I'm not sure about how I feel of the bar scene, mm-hmm. because it's just so out there, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I also find fascinating about it, mm-hmm. so I'll just mm-hmm. watch it and just, like, think about, like, how crazy is this that in particular is a really fun sequence because i think you can like your your eye can go to so many places yeah and so they do a really great job of like yeah you could you can undoubtedly find something new every single time you watch i mean you're like kind of sucked into how serious things are getting and then you see private detective noir gremlin and the puppet one and you're like I think I may have lost my grip on reality because this is insane. Yeah. I mean, I would say that kind of what I mentioned in our Die Hard episode, I think you could definitely like watch. I mean, of course you could watch it any other time of year. But for me, it does actually feel like a Christmas movie. So for me, it's like a seasonal watch. There are gremlins caroling. Exactly. So it is. It is. They found somehow yeah. those tiny little hymnals. Although and- <laughs> they were actually singing, they had they had like the tiny little hymnals, but they were actually singing the Gremlins theme song. Yes, yes. So I thought that was it. How they know they, that? They somehow came across a lot of different outfits and little accessories that fit exactly their size. What and- is that? Uh, that doll American. Oh, I think it's just an Amer- oh, American Girl. Yeah, is that maybe there's an American Girl store in Kingston Falls. Maybe. I mean, it wasn't around then, but maybe. <laughs> um, Barbie? I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely, this is a film that, especially around the holidays, I mean, it actually, when we had watched it, it had been a while since I had seen the whole thing start to finish. Yeah. Um, so, it, that, so it was particularly enjoyable because I was like, yeah, it's it's been at least a couple years since I had seen the entire thing. But this is something where, like, I could just, like, be on the couch or doing whatever and have it on. And, yeah, it's great. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to mention, if I may be so indulged. Okay. Do it. I What basically what I was going to say is one thing that makes me a little happy is that both this film. So this film and Ghostbusters were released same day, same year. So they came out against each other. Yeah. They also were both released on my birthday. That is fun. Yeah. That's a fun fact. Yeah, thank you. That'd be a great double feature. A fun feature. fact that nobody else cares about, but I, I like it. It's fun to me. It's fun to me. Yeah. Uh, okay, so... Huh. Yeah. Call to action. I mean, I, I'm going... My mind is going to a little bit of a dark space where I'm, like, thinking about Phoebe Kate's story. I don't want to know anything, like that sad but like does anybody out there have a funny story about like somebody in their family dressing up as santa or whatever (laughs) um i don't know that's all i got i'm sorry hmm uh yeah i i i come up with ridiculous calls to action for a lot of these movies because there's there's like some tie-in with reality and with gremlins not so much there's there's really not i yeah I don't I don't have anything. Okay, fair. Yeah. So if you just maybe want to get into maybe you just want to say hi. 
maybe you're just not interested in the call to action. If you my just call want to say, hey. My call to action sure. is we've covered Gremlins, Scrooged. Mm-hmm. Die Hard. Die Hard. What Christmas movies? Get, get thinking about it now. Because we're going to have another season. What Correct. Christmas movies uh, would you like to uh, hear in 2021? Because I've the, already moved on beyond 2020. With the stipulation that they must be from the 80s. Well, yeah. So there's that. That's true. Yeah. That kind of narrows it down. Parameters are good. It's yeah. fine. Um, yeah, that's a good one. So if you want to reach out, you can get in touch with us through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. It's the same handle for all three. And that is at 80s Montage Pod. And 80s is 80s. Okay, so we are coming to the end of not only this episode, but the very first season of this podcast. Yeah. So next time you hear us in 2021, season two. It's just like every year is going to be another season, right? Correct. Okay. But I was kind of like <laughs> like throwing it out to you if you know what movie we're going to be covering. Oh, I mean, do I ever? Rarely. Rarely. <laughs> I'm really excited for this one, though. What is it? It's... I'm not going to sing the song. It's Tootsie. Oh, that's, that's actually a really fun movie. It's so fun. Yeah. And... I just want people to understand that I legitimately forget what the movie is going to be every time this moment comes up <laughs> when we record. And then I hear it and I'm legitimately like really happy because yeah. I like these. It's it's ridiculous, but it's all real. I'm so excited for yeah. our guest. She's going to be awesome. And yeah, so everybody, thank you again for just hanging with us for this past year. We are beyond grateful and and. It doesn't go lost on us that you have uh, probably thousands of different podcasts to choose from. Millions. I think there are actually millions of podcasts. I, I mean, like, I wanted to say millions. So I was like, ah, oh, that sounds a little hyperbolic. But um, so you hanging with us means everything. So thank you so much. Happy holidays. And we will talk to you in two weeks. All right. Bye. Bye.